It's our privilege to present this message from the teaching ministry of Reverend George DeYoung as part of the Fruit from Under the Fig Tree. George DeYoung is the founder of Under the Fig Tree Ministries, an organization dedicated to helping people understand the power of God's Word in its Jewish context to equip them to impact their culture. George helps us understand the message of Christ by experiencing the world of the Bible. We pray you're challenged and encouraged by the Word of God as George brings us this teaching from the text. Now, let's see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and set our hearts on what God desires as we join George recorded live on location. Well, <clears throat> what I'd like to do this week with you is, um, let me just move a little closer to the front. Um, is I'd like to pick up from last week when we talked about encouragement. Because um, I, think, I, I think we need that right now. Um, and if you'll permit me, I'd like to press in and lean into that idea of encouragement, but I want to take it one step further, if I could, with you. To do that, I want to just remind you of a few things that we talked about last week. Um, we, we, we looked at that passage of Scripture in Proverbs that talks about the power of the tongue. It can give life, and it can give death, and people enjoy the fruit of that, whether the power of life or the power of death. Um, and and we, we, with that was the power of words, and there are so many words around. I mean, words, I, mean I find myself listening to more podcasts um, and um, in my walks in the woods, and, and, uh, and I think I'm going to fast from that for a little bit because uh, I'm just filling time with words, more words, more words. Uh, and I, 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 I'm missing hearing God speak sometimes. But, but uh, we, with so many words, and the power of words. And then in that journey, we, were, we, we thought about what the writer to the Hebrews said. Um, he said, we, we should consider, consider how we may spur each other on toward love. Um, and the word for consider was, was much more than just think about. It was focus on. Um, dig deeper. Um, and to spur is, is, is the idea of encouraging one another to love. That's what we need to do, is spur each other on. And, and it begins with me. I mean, not just me as pastor, but me personally. Just, just as if you were up here speaking, it begins with me, you. Um, and then, and then we, we, we came to that point in that message where I was giving voice to a frustration of mine, that, you know, to love God and love others and serve the world, and I don't disagree with it, and it's not that I don't, but I, I, I just need a little slack in the rope, and I'm, I, I live in a world where everybody else needs slack in the rope. And then, and then God gifted us that passage from John's first letter, was that we love him because he first loved us. And then, and then we spent some time thinking about his love for us, because God is the first of the movers, isn't he? And we, we closed our eyes and we thought of, of that passage, that glorious passage in Isaiah 43 about, you know, when, when you walk through the waters, you'll not get wet. Rushing rivers don't sweep you away. Or when you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And it goes on. And God, because, and why? And God says, because you are precious and you are honored in my sight. Because I love you. 
And then we thought about that beautiful passage in Isaiah 49 where God says through his servant Isaiah, Isaiah means salvation from the Lord. So in salvation from the Lord, we hear these words, can a mother forget the baby nursing at her breast? And even though she may, I will never forget you because I've got you engraven on the palms of my hands. And then, and from the book entitled, The Lord Has Appointed, you know it as Jeremiah. These, these powerful words of all the books that you can read it. And of all the chapters, it's the 31st chapter. So much has gone on in the book of Jeremiah. So many blasphemies, so many atrocities have gone on. And it's in the 31st chapter that God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have carried you with loving kindness. And we talked about it doesn't matter where you've gone, that first word for love is affection, and you cannot wear out God's affection for you. And that second word is chesed, is loving kindness. And he's carried us all the time. What I'd like to do is I want to recall that to your memory. I want to recall it to your hearts. I want to bring you back to the place when we opened our eyes, and you could just go, ah. Because I'd like to press into that a little bit further. Because I think it's important, as you have been blessed and as you are so loved, and I as well, that it's not just a matter of encouragement, but especially at these times, we need to be stewarding our encouragement. How, how would you do that? How would you do that? I'm going to be sharing with you several texts, all of them familiar. Um, and they are going to be the foundation of a character and story I want to study with you. Um, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor does he harbor his anger forever. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. No. As a father has compassion upon his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Because he knows how we've been made. And he remembers that we are dust. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send his son to condemn. God sent his son to save. So far, God's word, you may be seated. The texts I shared with you, a portion of Psalm 103 and John 3, 16 and 17. Um, I'd like to think with you about someone whose life appears in the text. Um, but it's almost like this character, well, truth be known, as I get older and I got more sermons behind me than in front of me, I'm starting to look at parts of the scripture and some characters I hadn't looked at very much or at all before. And this one falls into that category. He, this, this individual just, just kind of appears on the text, in the pages of the text, and then, and then all of a sudden disappears. Um, 
What happens to this person is absolutely amazing. C.S. Lewis wrote that wonderful book, Surprised by Joy, uh, his wife. Um, I, I could, I could, this could be the title of his book, Surprised by Joy. Now, true, the Gospels are full of people who are surprised by joy. There's, uh, there's of course, there's that, that man on the mat waiting for the waters to be stilled, and Jesus is walking by, and Jesus says, would you like to walk? And the guy says, no, I'd, write, I'd like to hear better. Of course I want to walk. What kind of question is that? Do you want to walk? Of course he wants to walk. But what Jesus was asking him, do you have, do you have, do you, do you, do you want, if you want to walk? I, I think of my brother-in-law who's a family practice guy, and, and, and you know, says to one of his patients, do you want to, do you want to be, do you want to get, do you want to feel healthier? I said, yeah, well then stop smoking. <laughs> do you want to walk? Well then take up your mat and walk. And because the guy wanted to walk, and because he understood something about Jesus, this guy was surprised by joy. He didn't have to wait for waters to be stirred. Or that Gentile woman. That woman, sometimes you know her as the Syrophoenician woman. She comes down and she encounters Jesus. She's a Gentile. And she encounters Jesus and, and she says, could you, feel, could you heal my daughter? And Jesus says, I didn't come for you. And she said, well, even dogs get some crumbs from the table, don't they? And I think Jesus was surprised by joy there in, in that very hour. Or Jairus, Jairus, that Jewish leader, um, he too pleads for his daughter, who, who apparently is not sick but dead. And in the very hour, that bloodied woman with that hemorrhage of blood, and it was, it was much more than a physical thing. It was a spiritual thing. It was a, it was a religious thing. It was, she was unclean. And she was unclean, and she touched Jesus. And that's the thing with Jesus, whether lepers, whether he touches lepers, or unclean people touch him, Jesus doesn't become unclean, but they become clean. Jesus, who touched me? <laughs> you know the story. Or that Roman centurion. I don't know, was he surprised by joy, do you think? I mean, that Roman centurion who sends his, the elders, the elders go out voluntarily, but then he sends his soldiers when he get, catches word of it, apparently, and they said, you know, hey, my, our leader, our centurion is a man of authority. Uh, you, just, you just say the word, and, and there it is, it happens, and Jesus is amazed. I guess Jesus was surprised by joy. Um, or that, that, Probably one of the more poignant ones is that thief on the cross. Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? This day, with me, in paradise. Do you know what? You, there's, there's a number of things that all of these situations, I could go on, I mean, but there's a number of things that all of them have something in common. You know what they all have in common? What they all have in common is they ask Jesus. They, they either ask for themselves or they ask for someone else, but every one of these things um, is, is there's a request to Jesus. The guy I'm thinking about this morning, no request. What's more about these, many of these stories is not all of them, but a bunch of them. We know what happens next. We know what they do. 
Um, we, we, know, we know when Jesus says to the disciples, come, follow me, we know that they left their nets. And went. We know that that rich young ruler who said, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Shema Israel and love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. I've done it all. Well, then Jesus says, sell all you got and follow me. And that guy, we know what he did. He just kind of sulks away. In fact, we know that there are people who are disobeying Jesus no matter, right, right out of the gate, they receive a miracle, Jesus says don't tell anybody, and they blab it all over the place, and crowds start to follow them. So we know, so in these stories, we, we have people coming to Jesus, and one thing they have in common is they all ask. The guy I'm thinking about doesn't ask a thing. And then with the ones, that, many of those stories, we know how it impacts their lives afterward, and with this guy, we know nothing. In fact, this guy's story is in four Gospels. So you get four perspectives of the story. And, and as I looked at the four perspectives, and you check it out when, today, when later, a little later on, but I don't think in any of the perspectives, at, at any point does this guy ever meet Jesus. And, um, and suddenly as he appears in the text, he disappears. He's gone. I don't know where he went. One thing we do know about him, he's, he's not a Gentile. His name isn't Claudius or Suetonius or Perseus or Agrippa. <laughs> um, Amenhotep, Cleopatra, his name isn't any of those. Now, his, his name is thoroughly Jewish. Um, it's a compound of two words. Bar, meaning son of, Abbas, Abba, father. You know him as Barabbas. And, and you know where to find him, too because you find him in prison. Now, the prison that he was in, probably, with very few scholars disagree, probably was the Antonia Fortress, way over there in that, the, the northwestern corner of the Temple Mount. It looks a lot like this. It's as big as it is because the Romans wanted to make sure, as magnificent as that temple was, and had it, had it endured, it would have been one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, no doubt about it. It was absolutely unbelievable. So the Romans built their Antonia Fortress higher, I think, than the temple itself, just to make a point. But somewhere in the Antonia Fortress is Barabbas. And, um, and, 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 and he's there um, because uh, he's, he's caused insurrection. What, it's interesting, that Greek word for insurrection is used several other times in the text, and it's used always in connection with riots. He, he's been, he, he, was one of the, he was one of the masterminds in, in, in the Portland riots, or the riots that, that we've become sadly so familiar with in our country. No, not protests, riots. And then, and then on top of that, we're told he's in there because of, of murder. He killed somebody. And according to the Torah or to our Jewish tradition, that's one of the reasons why someone, you, you, that's, you, never, you never commit murder. But he did. So Barabbas is not a favored of anyone in the story. But we'll get to that in a minute. Barabbas right now, as I see it, he's so deep in the Antonia Fortress, 
he's lost sense of all of time. He doesn't know if it's day or night. He, he, he has no... He, he's sitting there at least with two other guys. A bunch of guys. They were all probably rounded up at the same time. I don't know. Um, but all of a sudden, he and two other guys have been selected out of the crowd. And they move out of the stench, the filth, the darkness. And they're being brought up to a holding cell. Now, this holding cell probably was closer to the praetorian, the, 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 uh, the courtyard of the Antonia Fortress, and, and, and a little bit of sunlight was coming through a window, perhaps. Um, we, we don't really meet him, Barabbas. We just, we, just, we just know he's in prison. And we know he knows that he's been caught. And he could have been caught by the Romans, having killed someone for murder, or maybe a Roman soldier. Or he might have been caught by the temple leadership. You see, the temple leadership were viewed as collaborators with the Romans. And, and, and probably Barabbas, maybe that was his name, maybe that was his code name, but he said, I'm son of the father. And, and, and he was probably a zealot, in my opinion. And, and he was just as happy to, to take the life of some priest that collaborator with Herod, or some Roman soldier, because Roman boys were going home in body bags every, every week from this war-torn, conflicted area. So, so you got to understand that Barabbas is not a favorite of the Romans, and he's not a favorite of the, of, the, of the temple leadership. And Barabbas understands, as, he, as he's brought up to the holding cell, probably a little surprised that they're put in a holding cell. He knows what awaits him. And he's resigned to it. Abuse, torture, crucifixion, and a death that would take days to occur. Now, Barabbas knows what's coming. <laughs> or at least he, he thinks he does. Because we know that there's a drama going on elsewhere in the Antonia Fortress. And the drama that's unfolding involves these very religious leaders that may have turned in Barabbas and a Roman called Pilate who may himself have had Barabbas turned in and a Galilean named Jesus. You know the story. So much has happened. I just want to pick up when Pilate enters in and begins to speak and lay down his verdict. Pilate says, you know, you brought this man to me, and you said that he was misleading the people. But I have examined him here in your presence, and I have not found him guilty of any of the crimes that you've accused him of. Nor did Herod find him guilty, because he sent him back to us. There's nothing this man has done to deserve death. So I'll have him whipped and let him go. Oh, the crowd cried out, kill him! Set Barabbas, Barabbas free for us! Now, you just need to know that Barabbas had been put into prison for a riot that had taken place in the city and, 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 and for murder. That's all we know about Barabbas. We don't know where he came from. We, we, can, we, we think he fits the paradigm of a zealot. 
but I don't know. I do know that the Bible wants us to know that he was, he was someone who was the key person in riots. He, there's blood on his hands. It's kind of interesting, you know. Other Gospels will tell you that, that there was a time, you know, at Passover time, to, to curry favor with the people, the Roman in charge, the governor, whoever it may be, in this case it's Pilate, would say, well, hey, would you like, who would you like me to set free? And then, uh, uh, but Pilate, Pilate looks at Jesus, and, and, and he's talked to Jesus. He's, his wife has warned him about, you know, and Pilate washes his hands, but he can't. But in that whole thing, he says, he says these words. He says, I find no fault in him at all. Just, could you just, just stay there for a moment, would you please? Just stay there as you stayed in Jeremiah. I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have carried you with loving kindness. I, I think sometimes, and it's, I don't know, not you, maybe me, I get kind of used to Jesus, and I get used to the theological understanding that he has no sin, and that a sinless lamb and sinless offering has to take my sin, so I got that. But this story is very visceral. It involves shouting. It involves torture. It involves death. It, 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 I mean, who, has anybody ever said that to you? I find no fault in her at all. I find no fault in him at all. It's a remarkable thing to say to someone. Especially, especially from Pilate. And it's kind of interesting. I, I, when I was studying for this time, um, one, I, I read one author, and one author said, you know, all of a sudden, Pilate becomes a great theologian. Because um, he because his words are echoed later on by John in his first letter, when John says, in him is no sin. And the Apostle Paul would write to the Corinthians, he says, Jesus knew no sin. So just, just rest there for a moment. And think about this too. It's not that Jesus couldn't sin. Well, he could have sinned. He could, have, he could have broken bread with the devil in, in the wilderness with those temptations. He was certainly hungry. And right after that whole temptation thing, the angels come and minister to him and feed him and, and, and support him. So, so, but but, but, but he, could have, he could have sinned. He could have said, Father, take this cup away, and if you don't, I'm going away. But he didn't. He could have, he could have sinned. In fact, I'll go so far to say I believe that Jesus was tempted to sin. And my source for that is, again, the book of Hebrews, where the writer of the Hebrews says, we have one who has been tempted in every way. He was tempted just as we are, yet was without sin. Going once more to the book of Proverbs where the wise man asks this question, who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am clean and without sin? Who can say? Okay, anyone, hands up. And I see Jesus' hand going up. I, I haven't. I haven't sinned. 
And yet the one who hasn't sinned goes to the cross and the one drenched in it goes free. Because he's gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He doesn't always accuse, nor does he harbor his anger. Now, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so great has he removed our transgressions from us. I have kept my heart pure. I am clean and without sin. Who can say that, said the proverb writer. Well, my Jesus can say that. The one with no fault takes on the burden. And the burden, probably one of the most dramatic pictures in all of the Gospels of someone receiving total, unmerited grace. Tell me what Barabbas did. He never even met the guy. He didn't even ask to be forgiven. He didn't ask to anything. But he is singled out from the two other guys. He's brought up and shown the door and said, have a great day. I don't get it. But then my rabbi and my Savior and Lord was the one who said, you did not choose me. I chose you. Show me a picture in the Gospels of a more radical choice than the choice of Barabbas. Because if you think this happens by coincidence, I'm telling you, you serve a different God than I do. Barabbas. I don't know. I don't know if he knew about Jesus. We don't know anything about Barabbas. We don't know anything about Barabbas. It's just, it's just that all of a sudden, there are the three of them in this holding cell for whatever reason. They have no idea. They understand they're on the way to the cross. And Barabbas, come here once. Okay. Why? What's going on? What, what do you mean? Is this a trick? Is this a trick? You're what? Let me go? Go free, Barabbas. So you could almost look at Barabbas as a paradigm of grace. He receives it freely. But you don't have to turn too many pages in in the gospel accounts to know that that grace that he receives freely is not free. God gave his only begotten son. Not to condemn. Not even Barabbas. Not even one who has the wits about them to he didn't even know to ask. Hmm. We're talking about stewarding encouragement, aren't we? That's why we're here. That's why I want to pick up last week and move into this week because, because you need to understand if you're the only one and if I was the only one, it would be worth Jesus to God. But we're not the only ones. We're not. And I think if you 
are listening to this message and you're still with us, it's because in some measure you understand you've received this grace. And it is a grace to be received. It's a grace that's freely given. But it is a grace to be stewarded. You know, in our tradition, we have the Heidelberg Catechism, right? And, and we recite Lord's Day 1 often. What, must, uh, what is your greatest comfort in life and in death? That I'm not my own, but I belong, body and soul, life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And it goes on. But, but I, that, that, that's called Lord's Day 1. And in Lord's Day 1, there are two questions and two answers. And after, after, you, after you've declared your comfort, that you're not your own, but you belong body and soul and life and in death to your faithful Savior, then the question comes, well, what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? And the first thing you got to know is how great are my sins? Three things. Now, that's an interesting thing. Because there's a sense in which as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed us from our transgressions, there's a sense when, when you come to God and you ask for forgiveness on something that he already asked for forgiveness, God says, what are you talking about? It's forgiveness. I don't remember. What, are you still there? What are you dwelling on your sins for? And yet the catechism says, you know, well, in order to have this comfort, I, I, I've got I've to remember how great my sins and misery are. are. So, so, so what the catechism is saying is, is don't remember your sins as they lock you into the past. Think of your sins as a launch pad into your future. Remember where you've been. Remember what you've done. And once you remember that, that I'm just one beggar among another beggar showing you where the bread is, once you remember what, what your Barabbas moment and then how you were set free from it, and then how are you supposed to live a life of thanksgiving to God? And what does that look like? Shema Israel, hero Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and give evidence of that. This is the second is just like the first. I mean, you've got to have the first, but the second is not separated and prior. It's the, together. It's just the order of things, but love your neighbor as yourself. Stewarding the encouragement. As a father has compassion upon his children, so the Lord has compassion on all those who fear him. For he knows how we've been made. You know, I always used to think about that, like, you know, he knit me together in my mother's womb. <laughs> he knows how I've been made. But he knows how you've been made today. He knows why you voted the way you voted. He knows why you got angry the why, when you got angry. He knows when you, why you cursed and spit, slammed the door, kicked the wife, uh, kicked the dog. He knows. He knew Barabbas. 
and you Barabbas. When I think of Barabbas, this guy who all of a sudden pops on the scene, and all of a sudden is gone, didn't ask Jesus for a single thing, but was given a, an amazing gift of grace and freedom. We don't know what happens to him. And maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point. For you ladies, maybe you should hear the name Bat Abbas, <laughs> daughter of the father. For men, Bar Abbas, son of the father. Question is, this text always has boils down to two fathers. The father of lies and the father of the way, the life, and the truth. Now, if I could just ask you, and you know there's no way I could ever fully, in words or my life, convey to you how much God loves you. Can I ask you this question? Because I asked it of myself. When I looked at my conversations of this past week, what father did I reflect? As God looks at my life this past week, maybe even just this morning, who smiles? The father of life? the father of lies. Each of those has a trajectory. Each of them does. We were bar or bat barabbas, sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ. And just as we've been given such grace, I don't know what your story is, but I know if you're in Jesus Christ, part of your story is a Barabbas moment. It's mine. We understand that we're not just recipients of such grace. We're conduits. So let's live that way. To his honor, to his glory, in his name. It's our desire that this teaching by George DeYoung has encouraged you to walk more closely in the dust of our Rabbi Yeshua. Please visit us on the web at www.underthefigtree.org or write to us at Under the Fig Tree, P.O. Box 1256, Holland, Michigan, 49423. Please remember George and this ministry in your prayers. Under the Fig Tree is a nonprofit organization that's solely dependent on your tax-deductible contributions. We very much appreciate your support. Now go and tell Israel. And until next time, may the shalom of the Lord guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord.